Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus, and along with my co-host, cookery writer, teacher and chef, Charlotte Pike, we're delighted to bring you series two of the show. As we roll through the autumn and winter of what has undoubtedly been the most extraordinary year of global upheaval, we'll be talking about all things to do with food. Here at the Pandemic Pantry podcast, our aim is to entertain and inform you, our lovely listeners. We'll be joined by lots of wonderful guests from the world of food, from chefs to food writers, who will share stories of how their life has changed and what their world of food now looks like, both at home and professionally. The podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. A delicious range of tasty treats from smoked hummus to our fabulous new chocolate spread dessert hummus, which tastes like brownie batter but has 70% less sugar than other chocolate spreads. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Ocado, Booth's, Planet Organic and Whole Foods Market, plus lots of lovely local independent farm shops and delis. Every week we'll be offering our lovely listeners the chance to win a case of delicious Moorish hummus and dips. If you'd like to enter the draw, please go to the competition posts on our social media pages and follow the instructions. So, the time has come. Pull up a chair and tuck in to another delicious episode of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. In this episode, we will focus on home cooking. As the nights draw in and the clocks change, we'll all be looking for some easy, nutritious and comforting foods to take us through the latter part of the year. Our guests this week are Claire Thompson, a.k.a. The Five O'Clock Apron, and Alex Hollywood, a cookery writer and mum. We'll chat to them about all things home cooking and Charlotte and I will discuss what it's like if you're redoing your kitchen at home. And we'll get some really great top tips to help if you're in that situation. Finally, in case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say up front that we know the audio quality of our content is not perfect and contains the odd glitch. This is due to the nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. Finally, we love hearing your questions about cooking during COVID and we'll get some more top tips from Charlotte on that later. So, Let's get on to the show. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Hi, Jules. Lovely to see you. I'm well, thanks. And uh, yeah, another another week. Another week's gone by. It feels as though it's been uh, <laughs> rather similar to the last one for me. How are things with you? Yeah, it feels like time is absolutely rushing past at the moment. I don't know what it is. We've got half term coming up. So in fact, my son finishes school today. And then they're both off all of next week, uh, which quite frankly feels like they've only just gone back and it's a bit soon to be having having them off again. But, you know, it'll be lovely. There's a limit to what we can do during half term in the current situation, but we've got some nice ideas. My son wants to go swimming on Dartmoor and we'll probably just make lots of lovely, nice food. I'm feeling some homemade pizzas coming on in front of the fire, that kind of thing. What about you? What have you that got sounds, coming up? That sounds lovely. Well. 
Uh, to be honest, same old. I have no plans at the moment, really. Um, it's all a bit of a sort of wait and see, really. I've been trying to see my sister, for example, but she's in Scotland and she's subject to some different restrictions. So it really does feel like I'm playing it by ear at the moment. But I've been busy cooking a lot, actually. I mean, you may think that's not much of a surprise for me, but actually... What's really interesting about this year is the way that I have co- I cook has totally changed because I used to be out working all the time. So actually, I used to be cooking for a living, but not cooking all that much at home because I wasn't there. And I've really been spending a lot of time in the kitchen, trying new things, trying to learn and actually doing a lot of the stuff I mentioned last week in terms of batch cooking, getting ahead. I'll have three or four different things on the go. You know, when I'm cooking supper, I'll make a stock. I will make a soup for the next day for packed lunches. So I've been really busy just in the kitchen, really freezer filling. (laughs) Why not? It's a good time of year to do it. Actually, that is interesting. We are recruiting at the moment on the Moorish team. And uh, what that will do is for the first time ever really free up a lot of my time. And the one thing I'm looking forward to when I've got a team to help me with the the burden of work in running, um, you know, a busy business. The one thing I'm looking forward to is doing a bit more gentle cooking, cooking, playing, having fun, thinking about what to make. So, you know, my children, I've always said between them, they'll eat everything. But the list is actually fairly mutually exclusive because one will eat the other won't but that's changing and their taste buds are changing and I am finding you go through phases with children of being able to introduce new things and them accepting it and we're definitely opening the door to new flavors in a way that I felt a bit stifled before and to have maybe the time and the taste bud opportunity to to get really creative is something I'm quite excited about. Oh, that's really exciting. And I mean, personally, I find that when I'm really busy, I miss cooking so much. And I miss the fact that it means that I lose control somewhat over what I eat and what we eat. And that that does sound quite sort of possibly extreme. But I always feel so much better when I have a homemade meal. And when I know that I've made a plan for the next few days, and I know what we're going to eat. And I know that I've got some really nice ingredients in something to look forward to and something that is going to be healthy and nourishing for us and and sort of losing control over that because you're busy I find really has an effect on me (laughs) well it's very interesting you say that I think we will uh, let's hear what Claire Thompson says about Mm. all of this as we chat about this very thing with her so Charlotte over to you Claire Thompson is a chef and cookery writer. She's the author of five hugely popular recipe books that are much loved for injecting inspiration into everyday home cooking. Claire has worked as a professional chef for many years, cooking all around the world and then back home in Bristol in a restaurant she ran with her husband, who is also a chef. Her recipes draw on her extensive travels and her practical, time-efficient way of cooking really comes through in her work. Her recipes are grounded and have surprisingly short ingredient lists, often making humble, affordable ingredients shine. Many people will know Claire by the title of her first book and her online handle, Five O'Clock Apron. She's the mother to three daughters and is especially well known for her creative yet down-to-earth family cooking, sharing the recipes she makes for her young family. Her recipes are often deceptively simple, but are creative and imaginative, encouraging adults and children alike to expand their culinary horizons. 
Claire Thompson, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much, Claire. Now, your new book, Home Cookery Year, have it here in front of me, seems like the perfect place to start. I mean, the timing could not have been better for this one, could it? (laughs) It's a huge tome about, is it 200 seasonal recipes for all occasions? And I think you've described it as your biggest and best yet. So why don't we start here? Tell us about it. So I finished the edits on this book just as we went into UK lockdown. So that felt quite prescient, really, to be finishing this book as we entered March of 2020. So home cookery year, you know, who knew that a pandemic was coming? And I think the last six months for me have been quite useful as a food writer and a chef in that it's given me the opportunity to sort of like demonstrate that I'm not sitting in an ivory tower writing recipes for a sort of aloof crowd. I'm actually cooking food day in, day out. And this is how I cook really at home for my kids. So it kind of was quite useful that I finished the book and then I had a sort of six months window to sort of cook from it and show people that that's actually how I cook. I mean, you couldn't have planned it better if you tried. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you make because, you know, sometimes there are assumptions about people who write recipes and, you know, what you do is so real and grounded in, you know, real life, real experience and so practical. I mean, apart from a good recipe book, what do you think really are the secrets to success for good everyday cooking at home, really? I just think having an efficient practical kitchen that's organized I'm a chef you know so as a chef you do these things called stock takes and you rotate your food supplies and know what you've got in your cupboards and I think about being organized but not like some crazy disciplinarian but like having a viewpoint on what you've got in your cupboards making sure it's well stocked with things that you need and then just topping up with seasonal whatever you're given along the way. I often have people giving me things, you know, because we live in a really lovely community and people drop things off and apples and jars of marmalade and stuff. And I think just supplementing your your store cupboard with extra excitement along the way, really. Can I ask, as a, a mum myself, I don't know how old your children are. Are they, are they really tiny wee? Um, no, 13, 10 and 7. So mine are 15 and 13. So do you get to fully explore and utilize your culinary creativity? Because I do find that trying to take into account everybody's tastes and preferences, I am a little stifled in terms of being able to explore the repertoire that perhaps I might like to to cook at home or do your kids to see everything? Are you one of those lucky people? Uh, So I have been absolutely uncompromising in this really from them being babies. I, I haven't really cooked children's food uh, and I've cooked food, you know, my husband's from New Zealand, my stepmom's from Chengdu. I've traveled all over the world. I've, I grew up in, in Zimbabwe and Botswana. So I kind of haven't, I've been steadfast in not cooking kids food and just cooking food that we all want to eat. And very much of the belief that you have lots of bits and pieces to add at the table, giving a bit of autonomy to what they eat. So from an early age, you know, I'd make like a soup and then there'd be yogurt and chili flakes or seeds and nuts. And then just giving them a bit of autonomy to put things on. And, and you know, my 13-year-old's got a higher tolerance for chilli than I do. So I think that's just like training them, conditioning them. So she's, you know, so one will put chilli flakes on, one will use more yoghurt, one will put seeds, nuts. You know, I just think giving kids a bit of extra, really. So, no, I, I, I cook, we cook a massively diverse range of food. And I think that's what's been useful about Instagram and and my handle is that I show people that that's what I'm doing. So we have spaghetti bolognese from time to time and whatever, but 
No, I, I mean, I cook a massive range of food and my husband is also a chef. So we do cook daily and often recipe test on them. <laughs> I think that diversity really comes across in all your books, actually. And um, I have actually, <laughs> I've been sort of, you know, digging through my bookshelves this morning and and just, uh, you know, revisiting some of them. I mean, you know, The Art of the Larder, I mean, that just feels so prescient as well, doesn't it, right now? But that diversity really comes across in your recipes. You have inspiration, you know, just looking through home home cookery year, you have inspiration from China, Africa, or it is truly, truly global. I'm a chef. So, you know, as a chef, you could never say that you've done learning. You know, there's always someone who's going to give you some little trick or recipe or little technique that they want to show. You know, I've traveled lots, not so much in the last few years, but I, I think that is being a chef really like learning from people all the time. So I, I think that's why I cook like that. I've got good food knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you going to be cooking this autumn? What advice do you have for people who might be kind of going into a lockdown situation or be there already? Well, that's the art of the larder. So that <laughs> that book's done really well in lockdown because that's about how to equip your shelves really with what you really need to be able to cook from home. So, you know, having the staples of pulses, pasta, good tins, you know, good condiments, miso, mustard, stuff that you can just use here and there as a kind of bolt on like a jigsaw you know I think uh my advice to people would be you know even in lockdown when we were allowed to leave the house for an hour of exercise I'd walk the kids up to the veg shop you know they'd roller skate I'd walk we'd always just buy whatever seasonal fruit veg was there but um you know having that and then coming home cooking seasonally it's just trite to say but it's the economical way to cook isn't it so if you use seasonal fruit and veg and you buy like that and then you come home and bolt on with the things you have in your store cupboards it's just the the most practical way to cook you know essentially I really want to show people how to cook as a chef you know you're efficient with your time and your and and your ability to cook but also imaginatively I suppose yeah but I don't want to be pretentious about food I just want to be able to show people how to cook I can cook meals that take days to produce and you know elaborate procedures but I can also make dinner in 15 minutes no, no problem. <laughs> and there's neither, neither I prefer, I don't prefer one or the other way of cooking. It's just, it's just life, isn't it? It is, it is. And I think that's one of the things that is so brilliant about your new book, because it is divided by uh, season and by ingredients and by the occasion. So, you know, when, when this arrived, I went straight to the autumn chapter and I dived in. I've made um, a lovely baked squash dish and I just happened to get a lovely crown prince squash. And it was, you know, cost, you know, a pound for this great big squash. It was just perfect right now. And I made that lovely dish with spiced chickpeas and a gingery dressing, which is gorgeous. And I've made your cauliflower korma, for example, and it's just perfect. It because you can open the book and just make the most of what's available now, whether you're going to the greengrocers, whether you're going to supermarket, you can just buy what ingredients are best right now. And it works so well. I've really loved cooking from it. It's been fantastic. And I think one of the things you do so well is what you said about, you know, cooking with speed, because that's one thing I really take from watching your your lovely videos is I realise, oh my gosh, how much I faff around. I'm a bit of a sort of a faffer and a perfectionist. I just spent ages, but you're, you know, you just straight in and you and your children produce the most gorgeous meals. It's just such a joy to watch. I'm so, so ha happy that I was a chef, you know, that I am a chef. So after school, I went traveling and I did journalism at university. And then I went traveling around the world with my best friend and we cooked. And I realized I kind of wanted to get into catering. 
And I really pleased I did that now, looking back from age 21 and I'm 41 now, like I've got that kind of acumen under my belt, really. I've cooked in restaurants. I've been there at the staves cooking a hundred different things at once in an hour and a half with like sweat pouring off my face. And I think that is a good skill to have as a food writer to have done that as well. Done both, I think is is good. So I can faff and pontificate about food and stuff, but I also know that sometimes you just got to get it on. And also, I suppose as a writer, I just really want people to think that it is just food. You know, what can essentially go wrong unless you're doing some elaborate pastry work? If you've got some vegetables and you've got some olive oil and you've got some spices, you can't really mess it up, can you, really? So I think that's what I like to show people in, in my recipes, that essentially it is actually easy. It's just food. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, sorry, I think you're right, Claire. And I, I am passionate about people knowing that you can cook good, nutritious family food quickly and easily. It doesn't have to be difficult. I'm sure you're not making foams and no. fancy things. I'm definitely not because unlike you two ladies, I am not a trained chef, but I love that culinary creativity and making something really delicious. But it doesn't have to be long and laborious and cumbersome and difficult and sourcing, you know, lots of ingredients from lots of places. It, it's so doable. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're redoing our, our kitchen at home. So we've we've knocked off the whole kitchen. Okay. I'm currently living in a little rental place. Uh, on the other side of the street and we're redoing it all and for the first time we'll have a, a larder a pantry which I'm really excited about so I am going to get your book so I know what to put in there and how to be organized but I think you know if you can start from scratch and I think, are you having work done in your kitchen what what's important in terms of I mean I've spoken to Charlotte about it and we'll talk to her in a while but you're in the middle of it as well what's important about setting the the kitchen up if somebody is able to start from scratch well I think what's interesting about not having a kitchen and the inability to cook is how much our diet has changed in the last month. You know, I'm really lucky to live in a nice part of Bristol and being able to do our kitchen, but not having a kitchen for, for a month, our food bill has got so much more expensive because we're buying more sort of, you know, ready soups and stuff for the kids to have at tea time and not being able to cook has been a real eye opener. The lack of vegetables that we're able to cook, you know, I am a, big pusher of vegetables my children if you ask them that's what they say <laughs> like there's no meal that goes without them so like all, all we've been eating in the last month is like microwave peas and microwave broccoli really it's been quite quite strange last night I just got some baby spinach and, and had a, made a big salad with a chickpeas and tuna and baby spinach and some pickled lemon stuff but essentially not being able to cook you know has been quite strange so so having a kitchen sorted out downstairs it's going to be it's, it's like I feel like it's going to be learning to cook again really because I haven't been cooking for a month so me without my kitchen or in an apron is is not really me I feel like in the afternoons when the kids get home from school I've got this kind of two hours that it's quite weird yeah I feel like I've sort of lost something of me but I understand that we had uh, as done at the start of the year and I had two months without a kitchen and I found it so much more difficult than I had expected and I think for me it was sort of the lack of control over our diet because you are so limited because we had a microwave I've never had a microwave in my life and nothing else and actually you know and because we had the whole house done I had to wash up in I probably shouldn't admit this but in the basin in the downstairs loo. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and all of those, you know, when you can't really prepare any food apart from to microwave things in the winter, it's so hard as well because you just want a hot meal and it really affects your diet. And I think having the option to cook good food and take control over your diet taken away from you is such a hard thing, actually, because I I live in a more rural place than you. I, you know, I can't really go out and there aren't many places to, to get the food apart from, you know, supermarkets. And that actually is such a hard thing to live with uh, when you can't, you know, take control and eat the things you want to eat. I practically had a meltdown one night. I was walking around the supermarket and having to look at ready meals because I had no other choice. And I was like, I just don't want to buy this. I don't want to spend all this money on this rubbish. It's really hard. All I want to do is cook some lentils and make it into a soup. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. yeah but I, I'm going to borrow my friend's kitchen this weekend because they're going away. Because of the rule of six, we're five. It's tricky. Yeah. So there's not many people living on their own that we can go and use their kitchen. So uh, we've just kind of like, anyway, I'm, you know, we're very lucky. It's fine. There are worse things that happen. So what's important to you, Claire and Charlotte, in creating a kitchen from scratch so that you can create food from scratch? What's if you could give like the number one thing that that you have decided is going to be super important in creating your own kitchen? A really good oven. That said, I have spent the last five years with my oven held together with an elastic band and uh, the during lockdown I did these videos and at first I was a bit self-conscious that our kitchen looked so rubbish but, you know we've saved up for four years we've finally got the funds to do the kitchen so that's what's happening now but during lockdown at first when I started doing the videos with my kids cooking I sort of thought oh god the oven's all awful and it's actually held together with an elastic band but then People just started getting in touch with me saying, I just love that you're cooking in a really normal space and your kitchen, your oven looks rubbish and, you know, one of the gas rings doesn't work. And I think people were quite reassured by that. So your question of what do I need? I I don't really need very much. I I need a good knife, a chopping board and an oven and a sink. I definitely need a sink because we we don't even have a dishwasher. So I just feel like it's been quite liberating showing people that I can cook the food I do in my kitchen, which essentially is not very good. But it will be better in a month. <laughs> well, I think it's terribly difficult as well, because I think to a certain extent, one feels somewhat self-conscious about sort of opening yourself up and your your home to people. It does require a bit of a sort of deep breath before perhaps to show people, you know, what your life is like. And that that's one thing that you do so well. You, it's so real and authentic. And, you know, in terms of a kitchen, I personally would suggest that just having enough space makes such a difference, having enough storage, because <laughs> I end up with things piled up and the cupboards open and things tumble out and just having enough workspace and enough storage sounds quite simple but that makes a real difference as well knowing that everything's got a home (laughs) yeah definitely well we live in a very ordinary sized house but I have this wall that I had a carpenter build when I wrote Art of the Larder um this kind of shelving system because as a chef when you go into a, a kitchen restaurant you know you'll often have that sort of bit that everything's the store and it's all organised, you know, all the flowers are together, all the, the sort of pulses are together, the oils are together, the vinegars are together. So I did have along our wall, this carpenter built this kind of, I suppose it's like four metres by four metres, massive shelving unit. And that's where I keep all that stuff. And that is really, so when you walk into our kitchen, there isn't, you can't really see any food or cupboards because it's not really the space, but there is this wall behind. It's a funny shaped house. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. So we mentioned your videos a little bit 
in case anyone isn't uh, familiar with it, on Instagram, you and your children throughout lockdown posted lots of videos of you and them cooking together, recording together. It's just such a lovely thing to watch. And you really did get a lot of attention for that. I think people really identified with the fact that it was just so charming and real, as you said, and, you know, just a glimpse into real cooking and how how things work for your family. How was the experience of all being at home together during lockdown? Has it changed your family? Have you come out differently after that experience of being together? Yeah, I mean, again, lucky us. We It was nice, you know. My daughter, my little one, seven, she was really hating school last year. And sort of every morning I sort of drag her off to school wailing and crying. And it was really upsetting and it was making me dread the morning. So I just think Dot, Dot, was eating a pine strawberries and wearing a pair of sunglasses and she sat in the garden and she said mom I'm just living my best life in lockdown <laughs> so I think you know uh my oldest daughter's really sort of diligent and and you know she's really into school so she, we had an okay time she Grace just worked we've only got two laptops and so Matt needed one for work because he he's setting up this new food business and um so we only had one one laptop between the four of us girls so Grace had the laptop to do her homework because she's in year eight. So she really needed to get her schoolwork done. The other two, I wrote to the teachers and said, look, between you and me, I'm not going to do too much of the homeschooling because I, you know, essentially they can catch up in September. So we just lay in the garden reading books. We did and we read a whole trilogy of books together and then we cooked. We did our little videos, which at first I was thinking, how am I going to do that every day? But then it sort of became what we ate for lunch. So it was kind of like they had a little home economics class with me. We did some reading. The weather was amazing, wasn't it? So yeah. we, it was actually, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, they wanted to go back to school and Dot has, has rebooted and she's fine with school. So I just think she was just a little person that needed an extra bit of time at home. And we cooked and, you know, Matt worked throughout really. When he was allowed to leave the house, he went, he went to work. So it was just us guys, but it, you know, it was fine. We made things. We did sourdough. We'd made jam. We, we did pastry. We, we just cooked everything. Soups. Grace did some on her own. She made some chili sauce by herself. It was cool. Wonderful. Wonderful. So in terms of what's happening next, um, obviously we'll put links to all your cookery books on our social media, but it sounds like your husband is doing something exciting. Would you like he, to finish he, off by telling us what's happening there? So he's in a startup company. He's the development chef uh, for this company called Field Doctor. And they're developing sort of nutritionally charged sort of ready meals direct to door. So you put in your dietary requirements, celiac or diabetic or whatever, and then you have this kind of meal program. And Matt is devising all the, the recipes, which are really interesting, mostly vegetables, you know, high protein, like, yeah, delicious. So it's been quite useful with no kitchen because we've been eating quite a bit of field doctor. <laughs> of course, <laughs> very timely. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, you know, it's good. We're, we're all good. The kids are good. I'm good. And Matt's good. I'm working on a camping cookbook for next year because no one's going away anywhere. So we cancelled our summer holidays that we had planned and we just went camping and did lots of cooking together. And Ivy, 10, cooking a bavette steak on her own. I think that is... She had it all. She had the little tongs. She had the fire going. She's like new to rest it. So we were like, um, we just camped really in Wales and stuff. But it's extraordinary year, isn't it? So I feel like to come through it and be where we are, we were lucky. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Claire, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you and we wish you. you all the best with your new book and your book in the making and of course Field Doctor as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was brilliant. I have to say, I am ridiculously excited about getting a new oven. I don't know if I've said to you, Charlotte, I'm going to get one with the proving drawer. My husband's like, what what is that? What do you need it for? Well, obviously you can warm plates and he has a thing about cold plates. He doesn't like being served food on cold plates, fair enough. But also the proving for baking and that kind of thing. It's going to be absolutely amazing just to have that little extra drawer on my oven. How exciting. Let's meet our second guest and see what she's been up to. Tell us more, Charlotte. Alex Hollywood is a cookery writer and TV cook. Alex is a talented and creative home cook for whom good food is an integral part of family life. She's the author of two recipe books, Cooking Tonight and My Busy Kitchen. Both books are packed full of practical, achievable and delicious family recipes inspired by her travels, time spent living abroad and family heritage from France, Spain and Norway. When she's not writing recipes or cooking on TV, Alex shares her recipes on social media, which are full of great ideas and good sense. Alex's cooking really comes from the heart and is always generous, achievable and deeply delicious, making the most of store cupboard staples and seasonal homegrown ingredients. It really does celebrate the joy that can be had in home cooking. I reckon it's fair to say, I don't think anyone leaves her table hungry. (laughs) Alex Hollywood, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Lovely to have you with us, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Let's start by talking about where you are right now. What stage of lockdown are you under and what are you cooking at the moment? Right, so I am in Kent at the moment. So we're not in, we're about medium at the moment, aren't we? And we're not in complete lockdown, which is very lucky. So that means that we can still go out and we can see, you know, up to six people and we can have six people over at a distance. So what I'm doing is I'm still cooking for friends, for example, tomorrow evening. I've got a very close girlfriend who's coming over for supper and it's her birthday. So I'm doing sort of birthday supper for her and a couple of other friends as well. So I'm I'm cooking a lot of things from my cupboard and I'm, I'm doing a lot of shopping in food markets, farmers markets, that's kind of thing I am sort of avoiding uh, great big supermarkets. I don't want to go around great big crowds, but I'm, I'm shopping and popping things into my cupboard and then going to my cupboard and using whatever I've got. In many respects, the situation we've seen this year has really encouraged so many of us to change the way we approach shopping and cooking, hasn't it? In terms of really looking into the cupboards and actually sort of appreciating what you've got rather than just sort of seeing it as something that is in there for a rainy day and doesn't really see the light of day. How has your shopping changed? You mentioned you were visiting local shops. I understand you're growing your own as well. Yes, I've started to grow, oh gosh, lots of things in my vegetable garden. I am a beginner, I have to admit, but I've been really lucky because everything's grown. And obviously in lockdown, it gave me a lot of time to be able to get into the garden and grow things. And everything went mad. So suddenly, every time I go up there, I come up with leeks and onions and I just planted garlic and all that sort of thing. It's great fun. And luckily, I've had the time to be able to fit that in as well. But I think my shopping the way that I shop now definitely has changed as has most people's I think we really think about what we're doing when we go out how much do we need to go out and also 
the thing that really strikes me now is that we maybe are cooking using up every single thing that we've got. So leftovers have really come into their own, haven't they? And thinking ahead, I, I'm sort of going back to the way that my mother used to cook, which is cooking as in you, you do a meal, but then out of that, what are you going to get from the next meal and make something else from that? And that's very much an, almost like an old fashioned for another word, an old fashioned way of cooking, but it's a great way to cook and it really makes you think about what you're doing. It does. And I think that can only be a good thing for all of us to sort of revisit that, actually, because it's so easy. I think so many of us got in the habit of just sort of swinging past the supermarket, being late, busy, short for time and just buying stuff out of convenience and not actually sort of doing that audit and really thinking through what you're buying. Just thinking about your books, Alex, they feel so relevant for now and they really stand up so well to the current situation. What would you advise anyone planning, sort of wanting ideas for hassle-free midweek cooking? What are your top tips? Top tips, don't come out of your comfort zone. Stick to something really easy. There is nothing nicer than just, you know, chicken breast, a breaded chicken breast, or maybe cooking a bolognese. Or, But don't forget, once you cook that bolognese, that bolognese could go into three different meals. I do something which I call a a three bean chili bolognese. So it's it was some bolognese that was left over probably about a couple of tablespoons. I hate to throw anything away. I'm, I'm one of these people that shoves everything in the freezer. But then I went into my cupboard and I always make sure I stuff my cupboards full of things like beans and jars and all sorts of things that you can then bulk stuff up in lentils. So into the bolognese, I bunged a load of um, kidney beans and oh, a big mix of different types of beans and some more vegetables, lots of chili, coriander. And that made another whole meal. And I was stuffing it into baked potatoes. So you can have it with rice and then have it with some chopped coriander, maybe even some crumbled feta cheese on the top. So when you when you go out and, and, and shop now, I think the thing to do is have a look on the shelves, on the, the tin shelves. And you can find all sorts of things that maybe you wouldn't look at before, maybe you wouldn't pick up, but pick them up and you may find that you can then integrate them into the next meal and make it a little bit more exciting. Everything that I cook, you can throw together in 20 minutes or you can throw together in 20 minutes and leave it for a couple of hours and come back later. I don't think you should be in the kitchen a hugely long time. It's about sitting down and eating and enjoying the food. So keep it simple. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think one thing that's so special about your recipes is how you manage to make them so interesting and creative, and yet they are so approachable. And I look at them and I think there's no unfamiliar ingredients in there. There's nothing I can't find. It just is so practical, but with fantastic ideas. I mean, food has always been a part of your family, Alex, hasn't it? It's really always been there, I, I assume. Definitely. I grew up in a family of foodies. My my great-grandmother was a professional cook. My grandmother, she was an actress, but she adored throwing massive dinner parties. And, and she lived in Paris. And so the whole thing was about cooking and eating and going out and having a fabulous time. And then my mother as well, she she's a huge cook. She loves cooking. So I learned at a very early age, I had a little stool in the kitchen and I would stand on the, on the stool so I could see over the top of the worktop and, and watch my mum and one of the my earliest memories is of her mixing meringues by hand. Can you believe it? With one of oh, those wow. early, exactly. You've got hard work. <laughs> but definitely. And then what she would do is she would tip the meringue bowl over my head to see if it would fall out. And if it didn't fall out, which it never did, 
it was ready to go and add the next stage, add the sugar in. But that stayed with me. So now I know exactly when to put the sugar in and when to continue from there. So all those little things that you pick up and they are, they are nuggets of, of information, a treasure, and that it becomes part of you, doesn't it? So that you, you cook instinctively. And I think there is a generation that has lost that, that we're very used to just, as you said, going out and grabbing a packet or this or that. But now this um, pandemic has actually made us stop and think and, and think, actually, we do need to cook and we do need to cook a good meal from scratch and eat healthily rather than just a takeaway that we can't get now or packet food. We want fresh vegetables and fresh meat and just good food, but super quick without too much fuss. And I was thinking, as you said, that I come from a catering family, Alex. My grandparents had a restaurant in Northern Ireland and I grew up exactly the same, watching my grandmother rolling out the pastry and learning how to cut around the edges to make the pie, all of that stuff. And tonight we're having lasagna, which I, like you, in 15, 20 minutes at lunchtime, I was able to whip up the cheese sauce, put together yesterday's bolognese, make a lasagna, job done. That's brilliant. But you and I and Charlotte know that, A, what we could make into a second meal for that variety and interest and how to maybe make it a bit more exciting and how to do that. And not everybody does, as you've intimated. A lot of people don't have that generational education that we had or the professional education, in fact, that Charlotte had. And I think that's where something like your book comes in because to even be able to say to people, this is what you can do. This is what you need to do to do it. I think that's a real lost art. And for somebody like you to come in and, and give people those tools, that's got to be so useful. Well, I'm really, the way that I cook is the way that I write. So everything comes down. So all of the recipes are really simple, really, really simple. And I will always say, if you haven't got it, it doesn't matter. It says it in a lot of, of both the books, both Cooking Tonight and My Busy Kitchen. They are simple recipes. And if you don't have one ingredient, you can add another ingredient. There are no hard and fast rules. If there's a certain type of cheese and you don't have it, but you've got something else and you like that cheese, chuck it in because at the end of the day, you're the one that's eating it. You're the one that likes it. So bung it in. I mean, I'm always saying things like bung it in, chuck it in. And I think the thing about cooking Unlike baking, cooking is an art. You can be flamboyant. You can throw things in. You can taste as you go. Baking is more of a science, so you've got to be exact. Otherwise, you'll end up with a cake as flat as a pancake, which has happened to me quite a few times because I tend to go a bit you know, off-piste and chuck things in. But it happens to the best of us, doesn't it? But I think when you're cooking, use what you've got. I mean, on the, on the front of my busy kitchen, I've got a picture. I, I've overmade, you can never overmake brownies, but I've made a huge amount of brownies. And I thought, I can't keep them in the tin and just keep on eating them. So I thought they'll make the most fantastic pudding. And a friend of mine is a farm. We've got a lot of farmers down here in Kent and they're fruit farmers and they've had these wonderful blackberries. So I thought, I'm going to make a trifle and I'm going to layer everything up with the brownies and then do the blackberries. And then I'm going to do some ginger liqueur and then I'm going to do some cream. And I dolloped in some cream and some creme fraiche and everything else and then layered that up. It was just one of the nicest trifles ever. But it's about looking at what you've got left, opening your cupboards, opening your fridge and think, okay, I've got some feta left and I've got some courgettes and maybe I've got a couple of tomatoes. Or, and being able to think all those flavours will come together. And it'd be really easy just to bring it all into the dish with a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of garlic and a little, maybe some breadcrumbs from the bread that's gone off or not off, but stale and then blitz that. And then you've got the breadcrumbs, season those bung it in and you've got a lovely bake 
And it's just about learning how to put the things together. It's, I always say, it's rather like getting dressed. You know the colours that suit you. And flavours are like colours and you can layer them up. Absolutely. So we were talking about experiences with food, growing up and learning to cook with your mother. Is that some knowledge you've been able to impart with your family? (laughs) Oh, well, my boy, yes. Well, he's just gone off to university and look, he's a boy. He's not going to be thrilled to get in the kitchen that much because it's just the way he is. I think he'd rather be out on his skateboard. But I did insist that he came in and I did show him some basics and he makes a really mean pasta carbonara. He's really into his spicy foods as well. So he was doing sort of spicy chicken dishes and things like that. And when he went to uni, I printed out on A4 paper, all of these simple dishes, like his sticky chili chicken that he really liked and how to make some Nutella pancakes and the basic, how to do a basic tomato sauce, which we know is really simple, but for a lot of people, they'll think, where do you start? And I can't stand the bought tomato sauce because it's so full of sugar it's just so full of sugar no you want to just get you can get really grotty tomatoes can't you just really grotty tomatoes and then roast them off with a little bit of balsamic a little bit of olive oil a little bit of garlic blitz it all together and then you've got the most fantastic sauce you could add chili in there capers it's delicious so all of these things I gave to him and he's been phoning up saying yes I did that the only thing the other night he did phone me up and he'd taken one of my books with him and he said mum I made your risotto the other night because it's one of his favourites. And he said, yeah, but it just took ages stirring. (laughs) I love making risotto because I'll stand there with a glass of white wine stirring. You know, some of it will go in the risotto, the rest of it I'll have. So I don't have a problem with stirring, but he wasn't impressed about the stirring. (laughs) I've got a 13-year-old son who also loves skateboarding, but has just started. He can do scrambled eggs. He can do morning pancakes, which he does a lot. I have to say there's a lot to deal with after the pancakes have been made. But I do feel like it's starting to layer up those skills. And as you say, finding ways of teaching them the ones that they like. If they're only going to cook a a small repertoire, getting them on top of the ones that they really like. And I think that's an easy win. And then maybe the next level is to look at leftovers from that dish. And what could you turn your sticky chili chicken into something else but you're making me think I must go and do a sticky chili the tongue twister (laughs) I think that sounds delicious absolutely lovely that sounds amazing it is it's lovely it's one and it's so easy it's just um, ketchup and I put cardamom seeds in there as well crush it up and I've got maple syrup in there and all sorts of it's lovely with garlic and roasted off garlic and it's yummy and then you baste the chicken in it it's just delicious put it on chicken wings bung them in the oven, go away, do whatever it is that you're going to do, go and see friends, have a drink or kick your shoes off, watch some Netflix and come back and it's ready and it's yummy, really nice. Go on your skateboard and come back and it's ready. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Alex, thank you so much. Jules, over to you. So Alex, at some point we hope that the pandemic will not still be with us. We don't know when or how that will happen, but there are things that we're all not able to do at the moment that we would dearly love to do and and hope to do once this pandemic is, is in a different place. What would you be looking forward to when there is an opportunity to do something that you have perhaps been missing? I think there are probably two things top of my list the first one is because I know I'm not going to get my Christmas party this year and I usually have a house full I have sort of you know between sort of up to 60 80 people this filling out into the into the street and I'm not going to be able to do that 
when the pandemic's not happening, I am going to have my party. It might be in the middle of the summer, who knows, but I am definitely having my party because I love a good party. And the second thing is I'm going to jump on my plane and go down to see my dearest friend down in southwest France and go to all the food markets and just spend a week eating my way around and buying all the saucissons and eating the confit de canard and all these lovely things and just kicking back and having a glass of wine and just enjoying life. And my goodness, how much you'll appreciate it when you can do those things again. I totally hear you. Listen, thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Yes, can we come? Thank you so much for your time, Alex. We really appreciate it. And we can't wait to put this episode out. It's going to be absolutely cracking. Thank you. Sam Gates is a food writer and cook. She is the author of three cookbooks, Food for Your Brood, The Tin and Tray Bake Cookbook, and The Batch Cookbook, which has just been published. Sam is an accomplished cook who's cooked across the world. She has also had a distinguished career in food TV, working with top chefs in the UK and Africa. Back at home, Sam is a talented cook and writes inspired yet practical recipes that are perfectly suited for busy families just like hers. Whenever I cook, she says, my perfect ingredients list starts with family and friends, with laughter, plenty of opinions and shared memories in the mix. Simple recipes and humble ingredients magically turn into fine feasts. Sam Gates, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really honoured to be here. I've actually, I've been listening to the Pandemic Pantry podcast and really enjoying it. So I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's an absolute delight to have you with us. So thanks very much. And First of all, congratulations on your new book, because actually we happen to be speaking on publication day for you for the Batch Cookbook. So how exciting. And I haven't even seen it yet. So tell us about it. Well, it's, it is really exciting. I have to say I've been on such a high all day. I've actually been working for one of my marketing clients today and they very sweetly said to me late morning, right, we're going to take you out for lunch. So we actually went out for lunch, which was oh great! the first time I've been out to a restaurant in London in nearly a year, actually. So, so it's been a wonderful day. And the book is has just come out today. It was delayed a bit because of the lockdown situation. The printing had been delayed. I finally got a copy in my hands a couple of days ago, and I'm completely thrilled with it. It's been a real journey, this book. I first had the idea last February, so it's taken a long time, and it took about until about November last year to be commissioned. So that was quite a quite an interesting mission. And then I started writing it and and working on it at the end of last year. And then obviously we all know what's happened this year. And so I ended up photographing all of the book myself, which wasn't the original idea. Um, Did you really? Gosh. Every single picture in the book I photographed myself, which has been a real challenge, but it's been brilliant, actually. It's something I probably wouldn't have done had I not had this situation or these circumstances. And so I've photographed everything. Um, quite a lot of it was during lockdown, which was very interesting because I live in a village. We are sort of, you know, a bit of a drive from supermarkets. And I, so I had to kind of make use of what I had. So it was, it was quite interesting. It was quite a challenge. I luckily had my kids at home. So they were helpers and prop finders and everybody holding bits of food here and there. And every time I made a meal, we'd have to go outside into the garden and photograph it. So 
yeah, it's been a real mission, but I am completely over the moon that it's that it's finally here. It's great. That's amazing. So a real sort of family project to get the yeah. book <laughs> completed, which is amazing. Something you're, you'll all remember, I'm sure. And actually, it's really interesting you mentioned those things, Sam, because you and I, for example, have spoken to lots of people who write cookbooks and there have been some really unique challenges to compiling books and Mm. actually having books published at the moment the difficulty with getting ingredients people aren't going to studios to photograph a book I mean previously you'd be in a studio for two weeks possibly separate weeks or separate days but you know there's a lot that's normally how it's done isn't it and then of course the books are often printed abroad and shipped over from China or Italy or wherever they have you printed so lots of unique challenges yeah and it's been interesting I, I think the funny thing is that now it's here, I think during the course of this year, it's been quite tricky. It's been difficult. It's been great. It's, it's, it's been a real roller coaster for everybody. But I think probably I, I will end up looking back on this as being an incredible experience because I've learned how to do so many things and it's been a complete labor of love. And I can sort of safely look at it now and say, I'm really proud of this. It's sort of, it's a book that's been born against the odds in a way. So it's been quite unique and I'm sure it'll probably be my favourite book because of that. You know, hopefully it's the third of many more. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All the love that's gone into it, just like all the love that goes into your cooking, you'll really be proud of that, won't you? And it's something that you can share like you do with good food and be proud of for many years to come. In terms of the content then, Sam, batch cooking to me, could be described as just make more of it and stick half of it in the freezer, right? I'm sure there's more to it because otherwise you wouldn't (laughs) have written a whole book about it. So what is the art of batch cooking? Can you give us any pointers on what you have found to be a really important part of successfully batch cooking? Yeah, I I mean, I think the reason I wrote the book is because I've been batch cooking my whole life and my, my mum was a huge batch cooker as of all, as all of our mums are and she used to do the sort of classic um, batch cook bolognese which I still do with my kids but I kind of wanted to take a fresh look at batch cooking and say it doesn't just have to be about making vats of the same thing. Why can't batch cooking be about making really fantastic things or making things that are quite special, um, which is the complete opposite to the way most people think about batch cooking. So, for example, I've kind of refined the idea a bit. So it's also about making things for the future. So, for example, in the book, I've got things like a breakfast coron, which is a beautiful plaited crown of pastry with woven in with uh, interesting dried fruits and things like that. And it's a bit of a labor of love to make. But the idea is that you make it in advance and then you freeze it. So I made one. I know it works because I made a few before lockdown and then I took them into the office that I that I work in in London recently, three months later, and we had it for someone's birthday and it was fantastic. So it's batch cooking in the sense that it doesn't just have to be bulk. It can be just making things when you have the time, which obviously in lockdown was it's is the perfect time to be doing things like batch cooking because you often have a bit more time. So you don't just have to make lots of quantities. So Although there are sections in the book where the recipes feed eight, most of them feed four, and it's about making nice things that you just make ahead. And I think that's a really good point. As a busy working mum, there are days when I have my real cooking mojo on and I'm just so excited about making something new and brilliant. And there are other days when I have zero time, zero energy, zero interest in cooking, and it's about hitting those days and 
efficiently making the most of that time to do something nice. And I guess if you're talking about a baked product, A, you don't have to get up at three in the morning to make it, to have your breakfast yes. on. Uh, so that's a win. And also giving people the confidence to know with a baked product that you can freeze it and at what stage you freeze it and then how you deal with it next so that actually it becomes doable for people who who might not want to get up at three in the morning and, and start the whole process then. Absolutely. And I've got a few things in the book. It's also about sort of looking at you don't normally think of breakfast as being something you would batch cook. So whereas for me, breakfast is particularly as you know, if you have a busy family or a busy household, breakfast is the time when you have the least time in the day. That's my view. So in a way, it's one of the times when you need, you would most need batch cooks. So I've got, um, you know, I've got pastries, I've got things like hash browns, I've got the Quran, I've got frozen muffins, frozen waffles that you can put in the toaster. You So you pre-cook them and then you can just put them in the toaster to warm them up. So again, it's sort of about in a way, it's like the new batch cook or kind of redefining batch cook. And batch cooking is such a fantastic term that we all know. And it's a traditional term and it's a traditional expression. And this is a bit like it is it is it does include that, but it gives it a kind of new focus. Absolutely. And I'm thinking already, Sam, my mind has already gone to cook ahead for Christmas because <laughs> I'm afraid I have been that person who has been up about four times during the night, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, making brioche for everyone to have for breakfast oh. the next morning. <laughs> and I just, I mean, I vowed I'd never do it again. But this is just yeah. a perfect solution, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I've, I've also got things like a, you know, a breakfast granola, which is, which is great, which it, it, you can use make it ahead for Christmas, but also give it as gifts to, to people. It's a fantastic Christmas yeah. present. So. That's amazing. And uh, actually, in series one, I recommended your book, the Tin and Tray Bake book, because it's just such a useful, useful book. And one thing I love about that book is that actually it really encourages you to go through your cupboards and just think, what do I need? And actually, it's six tins you need for that yes. book, isn't it? Literally, and it's really, it. really pared back and yeah. brilliant. And I would encourage anyone, again, to go and get that book because it's just so practical and useful. Um, but what do you need in terms of equipment for batch cooking? Is there anything special you'd recommend? I don't think you need a lot A lot that is is more than usual. I mean, funnily enough, my, my most useful kitchen item still is a saute pan that can go in the oven that my dad bought me about five years ago. And it has steel handles on both sides. And you can cook in it, you can make a risotto in it, you can bake a chicken in it, you can do absolutely anything. And I've actually sort of said to both my kids when they're at uni, that's going to be the one I give them because mm. I know that you could literally have that in a small milk pan and you can do anything. Um, yeah. The things that I've found useful, particularly when I've been doing all the recipe tests, are things that you can store your batch cooks in. And I've sort of discovered that there are some things that are more useful than others. So I don't buy the sort of old fashioned plastic bags with a wire tie. I'll buy heavy duty bags that, that I wash in soapy water, rinse, reuse, or you can buy silicon bags now. I learned about things like when you store your bags in the freezer, store them flat on top of each other, like a sort of bunch of duvets laying down on top of each other because it saves a lot of space. And um, so I sort of picked up quite a few little hints and tips like that. And particularly for me, because I've been batch cooking for years, but when I really thought about it, there were new things that I that I hadn't thought about that made the whole process for me much more, much easier and more convenient. That's amazing because that's the other thing as well, isn't it? I mean, I really love to cook ahead because personally I'm quite fussy. I like to be in control of what I'm eating and I hate feeling like I'm having a compromised meal. I haven't got anything in and I'm yes. just having to buy something out of convenience that I don't really want to eat. So having those things stashed 
the way is just such a lifesaver. And actually using a freezer space because we're all quite limited on that, aren't we, at the moment, <laughs> makes such a difference. The other thing I, I found is that it's really worth doing a really ruthless freezer edit before you start batch cooking. I remember mum, she used to have one of those big sort of 70s massive chest freezers in the days when suddenly freezing was a really big thing. God knows what lurked in the bottom of that. I mean, there's all, there were all sorts of scary things down at the bottom. And so I think one of the really good things to do is just to have a serious edit. And my, my theory is that you sort of use the same thing in the same way that it's often never a good idea to hang on to clothes in the way, in the sense that one day you'll be thin enough or young enough or whatever enough to wear them again and the reality is you never will it's the same with freezers you know if you didn't want to eat that really nasty bit of old curry when you had it you're probably not going to want to eat it in a year's time when it finally makes it back to the surface well quite so, quite <laughs> that was something I've done is have a really ruthless freezer edit and then start my batch cooking in earnest. That's a really good idea. Actually, one of my best discoveries was I bought a, a freezer about a year and a half ago or something. I needed an extra freezer. And I actually bought what's called a larder freezer. So it's full oh. height. So it's six foot tall. It's the size of a fridge freezer, freestanding. But you open it up and it's all full of clear drawers. Because That's I have incredible. a fear of chest freezers and just everyone's yeah. been there. You think, where the heck is such and such? And it's just sort of rifling around trying to work out what's vaguely in the lower half of it. But that was an amazing discovery for me, actually, because I have organized drawers as well. So I've got yeah. my meat drawer, my fish drawer. And that sounds fab. Yeah, I'd really <laughs> recommend that if anyone's in the market. And of course, they take up less room as well. It's just yep. the sort of standard footprint. So, Sam, what's the situation with lockdown where you are? And what are you cooking and eating at the moment? Well, we're in a small village, but we're not in London. We're outside London. And so we're just on the normal not being able to have mm. more than six people, that kind of thing. I tend to shop once a week. We have a great butcher in our village. So I use the butcher and you know, have bought some stuff online and smoked things, fish, cheese, that sort of stuff. But at the moment, we can pretty much get everything. In, in proper lockdown, it was actually really tricky to sort of get a lot of things and everywhere had sold out around us. But now it's it's fine. And we're sort of back to cooking normal. I'm pretty much working all the time from home. So I haven't I haven't really ever had the sort of lots of time to learn. I still haven't learned how to make sourdough. I'm just really embarrassed that I haven't. I make a brilliant cheat sourdough from the BBC Good Food website, but I really, really need to learn to make sourdough. I'm quite ashamed of myself. Um, but, but I have been, yeah, I've been making lots of, lots of, at the moment, lots of comfort food, lots of winter stews. Um, one of the things I wanted to do in this book was to have a vegetarian and a vegan section because I've always assumed that it's not so easy to batch cook veggie dishes because lots of vegetables and so lots of water and things like that. But actually, the vegetable and vegan dishes in this book, I think, are some of the best in the book. They, they, they actually are really great. So we've been doing lots of those, even though we're, as a family, we're not vegan, but we, we do eat quite a lot of vegan and vegetarian food. Mm. And during lockdown, so you were all family together at home? Yes, all four of us, which was lovely. Was yeah, and great. your children cook. Yeah, they're both really good cooks. They've been cooking since they were tiny, tiny. And they, we went during lockdown, we sort of basically said, right, you'll, you'll cook tomorrow, you cook the day after. And they, they're fantastic. They really enjoy cooking. And it was a really, as for most families, I think it becomes an event. Having a meal is your enjoyment, isn't it? When you can't really do much else apart from your, your sort of one bit of exercise a day. So they cooked a lot. And they, they both make their own sushi a lot. They both make lots of, we make a lot of Asian food. And my daughter is a, an amazing baker and sort of 
cake decorator. She's incredible. I mean, she didn't get it from me. I don't know. It came from my mum, I think. <laughs> I saw you've been showing off some of her amazing creations on Instagram. So yeah. I definitely She's- recommend looking those up. They are really, really special. Yeah, they are. They're fantastic. My husband doesn't cook, although he will cook if he does a good spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> nice. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Well, so the Batch Cookbook is available online right now and in bookshops isn't it I can't wait to read it it's just it's so it's so hot off the press I haven't seen it yet so really looking forward to that Sam and we wish you every success with the book and hope it flies and I know it'll be a wonderful addition to anyone's cookbook collection Thank you. A brilliant, a brilliant read for anyone who wants to hunker down and do some some seriously delicious cooking over the autumn and winter period. It's always quite a nice time to get stuck into the kitchen and haul yourself away and, and make something super tasty. And don't feel too bad about the sourdough, by the way, Sam. I did learn to make it in lockdown. And do you know what? As soon as lockdown was lifted, I stopped making it. It, oh, did you? Yeah, it's one of <laughs> Life gets in the way. <laughs> I made it nearly every day and it was so good. And I thought, oh, finally, going to be my thing. I just don't have the time to keep on top of it anymore. So I think you were busy writing a cookbook and shooting a cookbook and doing all of those great things. So we can only do what we can do. But listen, you're a busy lady and you're off to celebrate the arrival of the book. So massive. <laughs> and thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, that was really interesting. Now, Jules, what's the latest industry news in the world of food shopping and supply? Pret-a-Manger is set to axe another 400 jobs and permanently close six more stores as the sandwich chain continues to react to the challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. This latest news of redundancies comes after the chain cut its workforce by a third, laying off 2,800 employees at the end of August. The High Street Eatery said its recovery had slowed since September, following four months of sales growth. It said the recovery had been stalled by worsening COVID rates and the impact on trade in London, whilst the changes it was making would enable it to continue to adapt through the winter. And finally, Waitrose plans to close all its in-store cafes for at least a month over Christmas so it can focus on managing numbers in-store. The retailer said it would shut all the facilities from the 13th of December with a gradual reopening from mid-January. Tesco and Asda said their cafes were remaining open as normal. Sainsbury's also said it was keeping all its cafes open while it awaited further clarification from the government. Earlier this week, cafes, including those in supermarkets in Northern Ireland, were forced to limit services to takeaways because of stricter lockdown measures imposed there. So that's the latest from me. Let's talk about some cooking and kitchen planning tips now, Charlotte. What have you got for us this week? Well, this week, I've been thinking about the weeks that lie ahead, and it is going to be a difficult time for a lot of people with assorted further restrictions and half term as well. So what I've been thinking about this week is actually just how important it is to get organized and make a plan. So this is actually really quite similar in many respects to some of the things Claire talked about in her interview. But I cannot stress how important it is to cooking to know that you've got a really well-stocked cupboard and you've got the ingredients you need. There's nothing worse than trying to plan a meal and then open the cupboard and find you don't have what you need. So I really do recommend making the time and making a plan and checking where the gaps are. And I'm not talking about stockpiling. 
I think it's really important to make sure that you've got the key building blocks for home cooking stocked up in your cupboards. And I'm not talking about having a lot of stuff in and stockpiling, but just some of the ingredients that you will use most often. So I always make sure, for example, in addition to some of the things Claire mentioned just now, things like stock cubes, tins of tomatoes, pulses, spices, I always check those to make sure I've got them because actually it's really annoying when you find you're missing one spice. And I made a curry last night and I didn't have enough and I was halfway through. It's very irritating. So just making a plan, doing your shopping, being organized and making a plan for how all your meals are going to fit together throughout the week makes such a difference. It sounds basic, but it really helps you to be organized and waste less food as well. Brilliant. And what about if you are in the position which I'm lucky enough to be like Claire, we've saved up for four years, so it's very similar to her. And we're redoing our kitchen. So we've literally chopped the old kitchen off. It was a single story extension at the back of the house. It was always quite grim. And so the time has come to to put on a new kitchen. And it's quite exciting, but also I feel like this is this is our chance and I don't want to get it wrong because I'm not going to be putting on another new kitchen. This one has to be really right And I know you and I have have chatted briefly at a personal level about some of your recommendations, but I think it might be quite helpful to share. I know you had yours done recently and obviously you are a professional. What sort of tips can you give us about if you're doing your kitchen or redoing your kitchen? What's useful to know? Well, absolutely. And we had a new kitchen here at the start of the year. And as I mentioned, when we were talking to Claire, had no kitchen for about two months throughout. And actually, we were nearly done. And then we went into lockdown and and lost our builder. So we had to finish it ourselves, which was (laughs) certainly a learning curve. I spent a lot of time researching what I wanted and where we were going to get it from before we had the kitchen put in. I am very aware of how fortunate I am to be able to have done that. You know, I did spend a lot of time making sure that we got the right choices for us and for our budget. I think that's the most important thing. It's a really big decision. And most people, when you are putting a new kitchen in, most people are thinking, well, you're going to want 10, 20 years service out of it. So it needs to be right. One of the things that I think is so important, and I say this having been through the process, but also now using the kitchen that I put in, one of the most important things I think is to really, really, really make sure that you invest time in the planning. Sounds really obvious, but I recommend strongly thinking about the space you need and specifically what you need to store and how you're going to store it. Because for example, I was really tempted looking at the design to have some larger cupboards put in because I think they look lovely and I think they're a really nice feature and to have some pan drawers because I really, really like those big drawers you can open up and you can see everything in there and access it really easily. But then you also need to think about how the things that you have are going to fit within that space. So for example, I've had loads of pan drawers put in, which are brilliant, but I've got things like crockery in there because I don't like it piled up in the cupboards, but it does take up a huge amount of space. And you need to think as well about if that's the best use of the space you've got. I think that's really worth thinking about for your specific needs and anything bulky where it's going to go. I ran out of space with ours, for example, and I wish I had more space because I've ended up having lots of big, heavy things like Le Creuset dishes, and I haven't got a space for them. And they're so heavy, I can't really put them in some of the spaces that are available because they can't go on the walls because they may take the cabinets off the walls. So I wish I had a bit more space and um, a few more options there. So I'm thinking about that 
retrospectively. So really investing the time there will make sure that you get the right kitchen for your needs. I totally agree. And actually talking to people like my mother-in-law and you has really helped us make some key decisions. So my mother-in-law was talking about plates and we have quite large dinner plates that we use every day. And we actually ended up going back to the kitchen designer chap and saying, the cupboards that you've given us, how deep are they? Because this is how deep or this is the diameter of our kitchen plates. And it turned out they weren't deep enough. So we've gone for the next size up, things like that, that I would never have thought of. But there's no point in having cupboards that I can't put the dinner plates in because the door won't close. It's just ridiculous. And just talking to you, Charlotte, about worktops, we've been going round and round and round about whether or not to get a quartz or a wood or what is the best thing. And I think having spoken to you, if I may make it public, we probably will take your your hindsight experience and not go with wood. So we like the warmth of wood, but I think we're going to have wood on the floor and therefore that will bring some warmth. But we're going with a white silestone quartz worktop and that's largely down to talking to you so maybe you could share with our listeners what your experience has been oh that sounds beautiful Jules I love the sound of that well we ended up going for solid oak worktops because they look really beautiful and my partner is an engineer and he really likes sort of good craftsmanship and sort of real materials so we went for the solid oak and we had them custom made and installed by a sort of master craftsman who specializes in woodwork and carpentry and they are beautiful they feel like a wonderful sort of fine piece of furniture they they look gorgeous but they are high maintenance and we've had them treated with all of the sort of products that are supposed to be the best products on the market for repelling water and stains but they are hard work, high maintenance. And I'm also a little bit scared. Well, we are (laughs) scared of damaging them and you have to just be so careful. So think about that as well, because also I've had marble before and marble's gorgeous, but I left a cut lemon on there and that stained it forevermore. Could never get that back. So think about how you use the kitchen as well because I mean our conversation for example you know it's just the two of us at home we're really really careful everything stays looking pretty polished on the whole but if you've got guests coming to visit you've got children it just takes one person to put a mug down and leave a ring (laughs) and then you can end up pretty sad about it so really thinking about the practicalities of how you use your house as well are important because I love having a beautiful kitchen now but I do not love the extra time I have to spend cleaning it and sort of the stress of that sort of subliminal stress of thinking, oh gosh, you've got to be so careful that you catch everything, you wipe everything as you're cooking, you've got to be really vigilant. And I personally slightly prefer to be a bit more relaxed in that way. So that also is worth thinking about. And one more thing, if I may, you mentioned, you know, conversations with your kitchen designer. I think kitchen designers are absolutely brilliant and have loads of good advice. But again, it comes back to what you want. For example, I had our kitchen designers, I had lots of different quotes from different suppliers and the people we went with. They've all got their ideas about what they think everyone else wants. For example, Everyone persuaded me that I had to have integrated bins, for example, and a special drawer for cling films and that sort of thing. But I just wanted the space for other things because I've got a lot of kit and that's what works for me. So just always, always take it back to what you have and what you need and do an audit. Think about how you like to work and how that space will work for you. The thing about kitchen as well, even if you've got 
a small kitchen, a big kitchen. You don't want to be walking across the kitchen. And I find that when I'm cooking professionally, and especially in other people's kitchens, I end up walking for miles across one place to the other, to the sink, to the oven, to the dishwasher. Think about how it all connects. These things are so important and actually really, really affect how you interact with your future kitchen. I think that's so wise that it takes me back to one of the few specific things I remember from when I was in secondary school. And it was my home economics, as we called it then, teacher, talking about the triangle, the sort of efficiency triangle of moving around a kitchen from hob to sink to fridge. And that has always stuck with me. And I'm really keen that that we get that right. But also something else that we happen to think about last minute, because we're literally about to press go on ordering in the kitchen. We'd love to have a big Belfast sink and it looks beautiful in the design. We'd love to be able to have that kind of space to do the washing up in a big space. But we suddenly realised that our children both do cook now because they're of an age that they can. And that's great. And to be encouraged. But the Belfast sink, we suddenly thought, well, won't that damage the crockery? Because actually you can smash plates and things. And certainly one of my children is, is quite a smasher anyway with accidental damage to things. So what we found is a stainless steel Belfast sink. It looks lovely. It matches with everything else that we've got, but hopefully it will avoid some of that real practical damage to the plates and bowls that we need to use every day. And again, it's just a tiny, tiny change that I think will will make a massive difference to how comfortable we feel with the whole family using the kitchen. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And actually, we ended up going for a stainless steel option as well. And then I bought one of those um, mats that sits in the bottom of the sink, so it prevents scratching. And you've got that sort of cushioning as well. So, you know, just small things like that. It sounds terribly boring, but it really does affect it. And of course, when you've got things like nice crockery and glasses, you, you need to be able to take care of these things as well. I should add as well, Jules, just quickly, you know, the triangle you talked about, think about the bins as well. Really boring. But if you're trailing across the kitchen, with loads of peelings and things you know that makes a difference all adds to it and the other thing about smashing we ended up making a very last minute choice away from having a tiled floor and went for something else because of course if you've got a tiled floor that's a hard surface if you drop anything on if you drop a pan on that you can crack a tile and then the whole floor is wrecked so it's really worth thinking about all of these details and what you want that's a great point actually when we were talking about switching to the wooden floor something we were talking about was we've all dropped our phone on the kitchen floor and with children they've been through a few few phone screens and that's an expensive business so I think the wooden floor is going to be a win for that too Mm. so loads loads of great tips there thank you Charlotte and I know we'll certainly benefit from your experience as we put our kitchen together I think that's a really great way to end episode two we've had some really interesting chats with our fantastic guests And I'd like to thank you again, Charlotte, for all of your tips and great information. Thank you also to our listeners. And we will talk to you all again soon. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And we'll see you next week.